You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 64. For today's episode, we will continue answering some of our listener questions that we requested at the end of 2020. And this will be the final episode on listener questions for a while, as next week we plan to return to discussing specific biblical readings from the Orthodox Church's lectionary. But today's episode will focus on questions we received related to a biblical understanding of salvation. So to begin today's episode, I'll begin with a a fairly basic question, Father. What are the requirements for salvation, and is there a prescribed formula? Very very interesting question, actually. And I would say on the one hand, no, but on the other hand, the more I think about it, part of me would say yes. So maybe let me explain. Yeah, yes, please do. So on the one hand, my inclination, as I said, is to say no, there are not requirements per se for salvation, uh, nor a prescribed formula. But I guess that's all tied up in how you interpret the idea of requirements and formula. So I'll begin by just mentioning my gut reaction to those terms and why I would initially say no. When I hear the terms requirements and formula as it relates to salvation, I personally start thinking about very legalistic understandings of salvation or even someone looking for, you know, like the minimum requirements to be saved. And that's just not the right approach, in my opinion. And why do you say that, Father? Well, to begin with, we shouldn't be looking to do the absolute minimum that will be saved in the end. I just don't think that will work out well for people trying to play that kind of game. Living the life of Christ takes full commitment. I think about the passage in Revelation where those who are lukewarm will be vomited out. There's no place for being lukewarm in God's kingdom. Or the passage about putting your hands to the plow and not looking back. It takes commitment, a full commitment to be a true Christian. So we shouldn't be looking for minimal requirements or some type of magical formula. And how about what you said regarding your thoughts uh, of these ideas being too legalistic? Yeah, we have to be careful here because I don't want to minimize the biblical presentation of salvation as a partially juridical process. But when I say that, it's presented in legal terms in the Bible in a somewhat narrow way. And what do you mean by that? Well, I think we've actually discussed this on a previous episode, but of course it bears being repeated. There's, there's obviously the idea of Jesus being the judge. So right there you see there's a component of salvation being a legal transaction, for lack of a better term. And in this sense, it is legal in that Christ will declare you either righteous or unrighteous, even though you are not in and of yourself righteous. As we know from Scripture, there is none righteous, no, not one. But Christ's righteousness is imputed, to use the scriptural language, it's imputed to those who are saved at the final judgment. And again, as we've discussed in the past, I like to use the familiar example of the American legal system. The court declares you either not guilty or guilty. And we all know that not guilty is not the same thing as being innocent. You may or may not be innocent, but being non-guilty just means that you were not proven to be guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And it's similar in Christ's courtroom. Being declared righteous by him doesn't mean you are righteous in and of yourself. It just means that you were saved by his grace because you lived as he asked you to live, 
to remain under that grace. But to do that, to remain under his grace, you do not just try to skate by doing the minimum or stick to some simple formula. So uh, I'm also interested to hear more on what you said, uh, that depending on the interpretation, uh, you could say yes, uh, that there are some requirements or formulas for salvation. Yeah, so I, I think, again, depending on your interpretation, you could say there are requirements or formulas, but these are very broad, so they're not like a checklist that you can really objectively see if you made the cut. So what are some of those broad requirements or formulas? I think I would really narrow it down to two things. The first would be to love your neighbor as yourself, and the second would be to be as merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. And of course, these are biblical teachings of Jesus. So those are the requirements, the formulas. But like I said, they're, they're very broad, and it's not like something you can check off. I mean, in, in reality, can you ever say that you couldn't have loved your neighbor more, that you couldn't have done more for your neighbor? And of course, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus defines your neighbor not just as someone who lives next door, or on your block, but is anyone you come across who is in need. So can any of us say we couldn't have done more in these areas? And the same with being merciful, even as your Father in heaven is merciful. Can we ever really say, well, you know, I, th- I think I showed enough mercy for today. I don't think so. It's, it's a constant process, trying to love our neighbor more, trying to show more mercy. So we do have these requirements and formulas, but they're not really legalistic or something where you can just check off the box and say, yeah, you know, I, th- I think I've done that. I don't really need to do more or practice getting better at those requirements. So that sort of leads into my next question. Well, a question I think a lot of us have, which is, can we ever know with certainty that we have been saved? Okay, so that, that's a good question, one I get a lot, and I approach this from two different angles. And the first is this, it's like we were just discussing. You cannot check off a box to, you know, quote, guarantee your salvation because you cannot ever really say that you did enough for your needy neighbors and that you were perfectly merciful as God is merciful. So this whole idea of being guaranteed your personal salvation is sort of misguided, in my opinion. But the thing is, uh, that shouldn't send people, you know, this shouldn't send people into a tailspin. That shouldn't make them worried. And this leads into the second angle that I take to this question. God's desire is not that we would go around all day, every day, worried about whether we're going to heaven or hell. His desire is that we continue practicing loving our neighbor more fully and that we continue exercising mercy towards others just as he exercised it and continues to exercise it towards us. And if we do those things to the best of our ability, and we continue to recognize that we are truly no better than others, and that our salvation only comes to us as a gift of God, then we have God's assurance that we will be saved. So this really isn't meant to be something this question that keeps people up at night. In fact, I would argue that being obsessed with your own salvation, that worrying about it is a sign of selfishness, a sign that you need to spend more time and energy on caring for your needy neighbor. So to sum it up, I would say, no, you can't guarantee that you personally will be saved, but you can be assured that God will save those who make every effort to love their neighbor and every effort to practice showing mercy to others. And to understand this, we also need to get out of the mindset of, God being this type of God who's watching uh, just to see what what happens when we might trip up if we happen to have some sort of a moral failing. You know, while we obviously want to avoid those, the point is that God is much more interested in how we treat others than in condemning us for making personal mistakes. 
So in other words, God really wants to be merciful to you. That's the basis, the starting point. He wants to show his mercy. And he will only be harsh in his judgment if you don't extend that same mercy to others. Another question that came to us was about the teaching of once saved, always saved. And while you've discussed this question once before in a previous episode, a listener asked if you could go in more depth on this topic. The listener is concerned that this is a very dangerous theology and we need to know how to gently lead our friends. Yeah, it really can be a dangerous theology because it can lead to pride or arrogance, which is one of our main downfalls as human beings. But perhaps, uh, just as importantly, it's, it's a misunderstanding of salvation, and it directly contradicts what I mentioned earlier, that we can never say that we've shown enough mercy. We can never say that we've loved our neighbor enough so as to be once saved, always saved. And also going back to the original question on this episode, I noted that we should understand one aspect of salvation is juridical, legal. But that's not all it's about. Right, right. So perhaps you can explain another aspect of salvation despite this legal understanding that you mentioned earlier. The biblical words for salvation, both in Greek and in Hebrew, are connected to the word in those languages for healing or health. So another aspect of salvation is one of being healed, and that's why we sometimes talk about the process of salvation, because yes, while the great and final judgment is one event, one great reckoning, Salvation on the whole is a process of being healed by God, of learning to live more like Him. And so yet again I say we cannot ever say that we've shown enough mercy. I can't say that I'm as merciful as the Father in heaven. We can never say I've shown enough love for my neighbor. I've truly and fully loved my neighbor as myself. And you know, if we were fully healed, if we were saved only in the past tense and not as something that is ongoing, then we would never sin because we would be completely healed. So the fact that we continue to sin and continue to show a need to grow means that we need to continue that process of salvation, that process of healing. And then finally, on this topic, Jason, I would say that I think people misunderstand and mix up terminology and ideas. As I said earlier, we definitely have assurance that God will be gracious to us as he promised, so long as we hold up our end of the deal, which was part of the bargain, that we would extend that same grace to others. That's why I love to use the saying that Father Paul Tarazzi taught me, that salvation is free of charge, but with a charge. In other words, it doesn't cost us anything. Salvation is free. We can't earn it, we can't buy it, but it comes with a charge, with a commandment to behave a certain way because we have been shown that grace by God. And then another analogy that salvation is like an inheritance, and, and by definition, you can never earn an inheritance, but you can lose it. An inheritance is someone else giving you their money, something you did not earn, but if you misbehave, then perhaps your parents will determine the money would be better given elsewhere, and so you can still lose out on it. Okay, Father, one more quick question to end today's episode uh, that, that someone sent to us. The question was, can someone be saved outside of the church? Yeah, absolutely. That is without a doubt the case, just as people within the church may very well be condemned. You know, St. John Chrysostom had a famous saying that the road to hell is paved with the skulls of priests and bishops. And the reverse can be true as well, that, that the path to heaven 
and can be those that we might not expect. And, and since we're running out of time, I would just point to Matthew 25 and to Romans 2. In Matthew 25, we see that some of the people who are called sheep, who are admitted at the right hand of the master, at the great judgment, they didn't even know that they had been doing God's will, that they had been visiting Christ through taking care of the poor and the needy. But they were still seated in the kingdom. And then in Romans 2, Paul talks about how the Gentiles who didn't have the Mosaic law were a law unto themselves when they behaved according to the law. So what matters is not your membership in any organization, but whether or not you behave according to God's will. And then following Paul's argument in Romans 2 and then into Romans 3, we might ask, so being in the church, what advantage does that have? And the answer would be that being in the church... You have an advantage because you're exposed to the scriptural teaching. You hear scripture proclaimed at every service. You're given the tools. You have easy access to the path of salvation. So to conclude, I'd use this analogy. Uh, someone shared it with me a long time ago. I wish I remembered who I'd give them proper credit. But if you're, if you're traveling somewhere today, it's usually easiest to use something like Google Maps or some sort of reliable GPS system. It gets you, you know, right where you need to go, redirects you even if traffic backs up and so forth. Another way to get there uh, would be like back in the day, I remember traveling with my parents, you'd get the big old Rand McNally map out and it would, it would cover like half uh, the, the dashboard or some of them would seem like a stretch across the whole car and, and you'd have to find locations on the map. You know, I remember going to the index, the street somewhere in section C5 of this map. And so you have to go and look at C5 and find the street and figure out the best way to get there. You'd get there, but it certainly isn't as easy as what we have today with GPS systems. And there's a reason we don't use those maps anymore, most of us. And even before those maps, or if you decide not to use one, perhaps you would eventually get to your location, but you'll take time, you'll have more difficulties, and be more likely to get lost. So this is an analogy. In the church, you hear God's will proclaimed, and so you can learn from that the directions to heaven. Thank you, Father. Today's episode focused on questions regarding salvation. We began with examining a question on the requirements for salvation. Father Aaron explained that there are different ways to approach this issue, which led to a discussion around legalism as well as those looking for just the minimum requirements so that they can get to heaven without doing more than is necessary. We were then reminded here of the passage in Revelation where those who are lukewarm will be vomited out. And as for the legalistic approach, there is something to be said here, as we all will ultimately be declared either righteous or unrighteous. But we should understand that there are none who are righteous. And so in receiving this not guilty verdict at the final judgment, we must recognize that we receive this verdict only by God's grace. And as for the specific requirements for salvation, Father Aaron provided two. Love your neighbor as yourself and be merciful even as your Father in heaven is merciful. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God. O our God.